And just like always, we'll start out with old Alvin Lee. I don't know if Alvin, I wonder what Alvin would think these days with everything that's going on. He, he's probably spinning in his grave. Friday, of course, and it's uh, the day we have Brent Winters on with us that everybody looks forward to, and including myself. And let me cue him in here. And Brent, uh, Roger Sales, Radio Ranch, People's Patriot Network. And the day of the week that uh, signifies kind of let your breath out a bit. Weekend's right in front of us, but uh, it's always great to have Brent on. Used to, when we started this, it was late. It was an afternoon segment, and it was truly the, you know, lead into Friday night. Now we got a couple hours before sundown after we finish, but uh, always good to have you on, Brent. I look forward to these shows, my friend. Well, I'm tickled to be here, of course. I look forward to them, too, because this is how I get the news. Now, I do get some news because you send me some. Now, you didn't. You sent me things this time. I listened to one of them. had to do with, it was a YouTube video. It was some British business show. They talk about economics. And then I listened. I listened to another show that they had done besides the one you had sent me because it popped up. And it was the economic advisor to Bernie Sanders. The oh, economic no. advisor. Uh, some PhD, some chick. Some chick and I listened, and it all sounds so intellectual, and it sounds so, so rational, and it sounds so measured. But when you just stop and listen to the words, you realize these people are wacko. Yeah. But they're wacko when you first listen because of their spirit. It comes across so calm. But the truth is, they're violent, crazy, vicious, sons of Belial, sobs, and uh, saying things like this, Roger, that. When the climate change reality finally hits the masses, we're going to have revolution and violence. And that's the tailwind, said this, this, this gal. That's the tailwind that's going to push our country over the edge. And I'm thinking to myself, what climate change? I mean, even if it were true, Roger, it can only help us, not hurt us. Even if it were true. But climatologists that I talk to, and I've talked to a few with PhDs, and climatologists that I read on the Internet and listen to say that it's all hooey. It is. It's hooey, number one. And But what's amazing, you can take something as ridiculous, as silly, as stupid, and this is how fearful and unstable most everybody is to varying degrees, and push them over the edge with something that is utterly ludicrous. And unthinkable, but that's what I'm getting as I listen to things. It's uh, there's a lot of things going on that are very pressing right now. That, uh, for example, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, where is he? Who's he working for? Nobody's asking who he's working for. No, that doesn't come up too often, does it? <laughs> no, but I've now. Here's another thing, Roger, that's come up to my mind this week, and. Uh, we've been alerted to this fellow by the name of Rick Wiles, Rick, W-I-L-E-S, Yes. And, uh, true news. And uh, I said, there's something fishy about this guy because he lives in Florida, which is now uh, controlled by New York, um, New York Jewish people. They've been migrating down there for years. And uh, he's right in the center of that. And and he's saying these things about the state of Israel that are so negative. Why is it? Just a query. He always asks a question at the beginning. Why is it 
that the Southern Poverty Law Center doesn't have him listed as um, dangerous to America. And I couldn't. Now, I did find yeah. that. There's a, re- there's a reason they do stuff like that. Same reason they hadn't touched me. They don't want to send people over there. They don't want to send people over to... to in other words, they put them on the list. They go, oh, that damn Rick Wiles, I better go check him out. And they wouldn't have ordinarily, and they go over and check it out. That's what... The blowback they got that first was, you know, Tom Perkins' book, uh, yeah. Economic Hitmen? Uh-huh. They tried to demonize that. And they set up an anti-website big all over the world and stuff and attached it to some of the State Department uh, somehow. And they skyrocketed his book sales. I, I get it. Now, I, I understand your point, and of course, I want to think you're right because I like listening to him. But his wife, the way I get it, his wife is uh, arguably the biggest female shaker and mover of the Republican Party in the state of Florida. She's the one, apparently, from what I can read, that controlled the state of Florida for Trump in the last election. She's a political animal to the utter hilt, and he is political to the utter hilt. In other words, the Bible's not the thing that he's focused on, although he apparently pastoring a church, but he's focused on politics and controlling, trying to sway the, the public opinion in the direction he thinks it ought to be swayed. Nothing wrong with that. I'm trying to understand the fellow because... Everybody anymore at my age, Roger, everybody suspect a suspect except you, of course, and me. But uh, uh, listen, you don't know how many times over the years people have called me and said I was a federal informer. I mean, I'm not kidding you. I used to get up and pour my heart out at those meetings and do those presentations when sometimes one person would show up and I'd do it three hours. Okay. Yeah. And, And they turn around and call you a fed. Oh, Roger, I was down in Henderson, Nevada one time, had a client pay, said, I want you to go to this seminar because I think we might be able to learn something that helped me. He was under a uh, uh, grand jury indictment at the time. And uh, so I went to the seminar and I listened and uh, being friendly and thought folk there were friendly. And I went in the boys room and I was doing what boys do in the boys room. And, you know, they stand beside each other in places like that. And talk and fella stood beside me and he said, I said, howdy, how are you? And, and you know, I'm, I'm Brent. And he said, I know who you are. I said, how, how do you know who I am? He said, I know you're a federal agent. I know that. <laughs> and I know your name and he knew my name and he knew quite a bit about me, by the way. And of course, everybody there, I noticed they weren't real friendly. Same, same kind of experience you've had, you know, but I, 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 I get it. People are. They're leery. They're leery. And understandably so. I used to tell people, Roger, I'd say, because people say, well, you know, the feds, they'll they'll pose as being this kind of person, that kind of person. I said, well, yeah, they do. But there's one thing they will never, um, in, um, they will never, what's that word? It's escaped me. Um, imitate. Yeah, imitate, I guess. They'll never imitate a lawyer. They'll never do that. They'll imitate a CPA. I'd seen that where they had posed as CPAs to try to get information out of people, etc. But then I found out later that's not true. They do pose as lawyers. Federal agents will pass themselves off as lawyers 
to try to get people to divulge information to them to help them. And then they get information and they use it. And, of course, when you talk to somebody who you think is a lawyer, even if the person isn't a lawyer, you have a privilege, you have the power under our law to gag him from ever testifying against you. That's true. But it's just like uh, telephone taps, same thing. Uh, once you, uh, the feds get information through a telephone tap or some other kind of illegal means without a warrant, uh, they often will not be able to use that in court in most cases because of the Fifth Amendment and because of the warrant requirement of the Fourth. And, and same thing with a lawyer-client privilege. But that doesn't mean that they don't have information that will lead them to more information. You see, that's the problem. But why, and that's wouldn't why that, wouldn't that be you know, a clear cut entrapment case, Brent, if you're posing as a lawyer and trying to take advantage not only of the deceit, but then of the legal privilege to turn around and use it against somebody? That just uh, smells of entrapment to me. We well, you're. A couple Coercion. people. Joined, well, but you got Shane, we got Samuel, and we got Kay have all joined us here. So, yep. I, but right. I want to get your response to that before we start, Brent. Oh well, it would be, but see, they don't reveal where they got that initial piece of information, and that initial piece of information that was taken illegally without a warrant, then is a link in a chain that leads to another piece of information that provides a link in a chain that leads to another piece of information that provides a link in a chain that leads to the information that they can bring out in court. And that's the very analogy, and that's the very symbol, symbolic language that the courts use to describe. It's called the link in the chain uh, illustration. I got and another any one. It's called the fruit of the poison tree <laughs> illustration. <laughs> well... That'd be good. That'd be good. They used it, but they don't use that much anymore. See, the Fourth Amendment in America today, and this is across the board, if they bust into your house or get information without a warrant and they find what they're looking for, either you or some instrumentality of a crime or some contraband, if they do that and find what they're looking for, the Fourth Amendment doesn't require. It doesn't matter. Uh, the, the courts won't listen to the fruit of the poisonous tree argument anymore. But if they break in and don't find what they're looking for, either you or uh, contraband, then they might be slapped back, but never forget. There's nothing the government will ever do to them to teach them. They won't pay a price. They'll just get the evidence thrown out. Sure, and they'll come at you another way if they can. Let yeah. me get let me get to this bevy of callers we got. Shane, you were first. How you doing, buddy? I guess he's sm hello. There you hello. There you go. Question or comment, or are you just listening? Yeah, I'm just thinking about coer coercion. Okay. Police like to use coercion when they tap into your. Uh, your property, and therefore they, they try to make things seem as if you're at fault rather than they are. They'll do so, that. yes. They'll do that in about yes. a heartbeat. Okay, Shane, go back to your cigarette. Okay. Thank you. Samuel, <laughs> you were second. How you doing, man? Hi, uh, guys. Good, good to hear y'all. Um, I just uh, wanted to say that when it comes to climate, um, I used to believe that if it, there wasn't the warming, et cetera, either, but uh, there's a guy that I go to on a weekly basis, he, uh, and I listen to what he's saying about the climate, and uh, he's saying that uh, we're in the greatest die-off 
in hundreds of thousands of years of all types of life. That includes insect, animal, ocean, um, vegetation, and that if we don't halt it, we're going to collapse as a society because we're not going to be able to produce food, etc. Well, and that man's name is Dane Wigington, oh, yeah. and his website, Geoengineering Watch, he's got over 33 million hits, I think, at this point. He's been deplatformed by Google, so you used to do a search for him. He was number one. Now you got to go dig him out on the 15th page. But Dane is a very intellectual guy who has sacrificed everything to get this message out, and I think he deserves a look at when it comes to climate. Uh, Samuel, you're not the only listener that's high on him. I've seen his videos. He has all those things you said. Chuck out in Oklahoma is real big on him. And, yeah, we're, uh, that's one of the things I was thinking about the show as we went into Brent, uh, is you're so, you're so biblically and historically grounded. Uh, the Chinese curses may you live in interesting times, of course, and we do that for sure. But I see it. I hear people refer to the end of the world and all that stuff, and I know that it's translated literally as the end of an age. And we're changing ages. That encourages me uh, a lot. Instead of being negative, I'm pretty optimistic about it because I see these guys falling all over the place and getting exposed. So, but yeah, the the other thing I could talk about so much already we've discussed, but global solar minimum is what's coming. Okay, it's an ice age coming, and it is going to contribute to a lot of those things. According to Dane, we are. It, this is man's intervention. That's his main thing is, is the uh, aerosol spraying that's going on. I mean, it's tremendous here where I'm at. Um, and we've got like 200 million trees dying in this state. And Dan's father was an arborist, and he grew up that way. And the biologists are telling him that this aerosol aluminum is getting in the soil, and the trees can't take up nutrition. And that's why they're dying. Yep. Of course, the scientists are on the other side, blame it on the beetle. Well, the beetles are get into anything that's weak and uh, will start devouring sure. it. No. But that's the thing is such a torch yeah. right now. You know? uh, the aluminum's got a real detrimental effect. Uh, so we'll monitor it. Samuel, I, uh, we talk about it not enough, but hell, there's so many things going on. There's not enough time to talk about these complex, in-depth things in much depth. I will say this on the climate change, though, Brent, because I know the enemy so well. It, when Obama was still in and they went over there to Paris to sign that last big agreement that Trump had undid already and pulled us out of, they added two clauses into that agreement that had never been in the previous ones. And one of them was everyone born on earth had to have a birth certificate. And the other was that they had to have identification papers. And they'd never put them in there before. I Years ago, as you're thinking about this, and it was in its height of promotion and not exposed as a scam yet, they still had the edge. And you start wondering, what are they doing? Because you know they're doing something. Until somebody said... You exhale carbon dioxide. They want to tax your breathing. They control pretty much the water at that point and the food. They want to tax tax you on your exhale. That's what these guys were setting up, man, I guarantee you. Well, no question. Uh, There's, as they say, two or more people in concert to commit a crime. No, in concert to commit many crimes. 
That's conspiracy. It's not a theory. It's a reality. But when it comes to global warming, what possibly could hurt us if the globe gets warm? That would only open up more agricultural, arable, tillable land. I keep saying I want to buy land up in Greenland if it's really that true, because they say the soil underneath that mile or two of ice is pretty good. But that will open up growing seasons in a lot of places. But that's not even to say it's true. I say even if global warming is true, it's still a good thing. If it's not true, well, then we continue as we are. But the scare, even let's say that either way, it's the fear that they're working up uh, concerning it. And that's silliness, utter silliness. Because if the global warming really happens, there's not a pinch of dried owl manure of anything that we can do about any of it. It's what God has done. And I just think, and I can post things on Facebook, for example. And I can post a whole lot of things about the country and the flag and politics and people just love it. But then when I, I posted a thing the other day, and it was a picture of a national cemetery, national cemetery uh, down in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of crosses. I don't see uh, the Islamic moon and the sword. I don't see the Star of David. I just see crosses by the hundreds and thousands. And I, I thought to myself, does this symbol in this picture reveal what gumption breath has driven and kept our country? Well, obviously it does. But yet, when you say things like that, and when you post pictures of these wackos that are holding the levers of power, um, you know, Schumer and uh, Soros and Hillary and that crazy senator from out there, Feinstein, and then these young gals that are mouthy, that have no experience, no learning, no nothing. You look at that and you say to yourself, what's the matter with these people? And people love to say, oh, they're left-wing wackos, they're communists. No, here's the ultimate problem. That's just the symptom. These people are mad people. The reason they're mad is because, as David says, God, the true lawgiver, is not in any of their thoughts. That's the problem. And that's the thing that is ignored Constant global warming. What's the problem with that? Everybody's afraid. Why is everybody afraid? Everybody, well, a lot of people, because God is not in any of their thoughts. God's in control. God is sovereign. We aren't. We're not going to control it. But what we got to do in the meantime, and there's no group solution to those kind of things. The only solution to uh, the economy, the only solution to if there is global warming, is me. Me and mine doing what I got to do, manipulating uh, my circumstances, mine, not others, my life, making sure my life does what I got to do to survive, to get what I got to have, because no matter what happens, I got to do that. I cannot depend upon any bevy of PhDs, any punky professors, any dinky doctors anywhere to orchestrate me and others how to handle this problem. They are ever learning, never able to come to a college knowledge of the truth, because, again, God is not in all their thoughts. David said, I am smarter than all of my teachers because I meditate in thy word, thy law, thy will. And that's the, it, politics constantly screams and hollers, politics, and those that pay attention to it, and those, and, polit, and global warming is nothing but a political, a political manipulative tool. It means nothing. 
it that means nothing to me. There is no solution. They want the country to have a solution and laws to bring a solution. It ain't going to happen. Nope. History is replete with examples of such foolishness. Let's get off of it and decide what we're going to do. But as I say again, there's no proof of it that sticks. Um, and not only that, even if it is true, it's a good thing. Well, but I appreciate the comments because I want to hear what other people say about it. That's what I say about it. Back to you, Roger. I'm afraid I don't want to get too darn hot down here in Ecuador now. Uh, I'd mm-hmm. like to get uh, I'd like to get Kay's opinion because she's come on. I know it, she loves you, your work and you, Brent. And and welcome back, Kay. We're always glad to hear from you. Are you feeling better? Um, uh, well. You know, that long illness, unfortunately. Um, I wanted to, to say a couple things. Uh, the first one is, yes, Brent, I'm, I'm reading your book. I'm almost done with it. Uh, X, uh, X, the Common Law. Um, really a lot of thought-provoking uh, research went into that, and a lot of history is... is fascinating um, but I wanted to the other thing I wanted to say I, I, I do like your work um, true reporting and this is going to be like hearsay or just gossip at this point because I don't know that video I know it was at least three maybe four months ago that I heard it I used to um, subscribe to his channel but I was listening to him, and he said right on air, for, for better or worse, um, that Trump was going to be the savior of mankind. And I backed up a little bit from that statement. Um, but I went, well, <laughs> Well, okay, <laughs> I can tell you. We've already he may have said that a couple of months ago, but he sure changed his tune as of a few weeks ago that I've seen. Oh, okay. I don't listen to him anymore. Yeah. I, I just took him off my... I unsubscribed at that point. Um, but I just wanted to say that, uh, that I did hear that. And unfortunately, I can't tell you when it was. It was at least three or four months ago, maybe even longer but at least well anyway since this epstein thing broke in july he had some stuff about trump and epstein and uh, years ago before the uh, somebody's got the phone if you could stick it on mute just get a little background uh the split before the public split and uh he had totally changed his tune on that and i mean 180 degrees so, for whatever that's worth, I saw those broadcasts. Um, so, you know, I feel as people are asking about Rick Wiles, I feel that same thing in this position I've been in for all these years. And, uh, you know, let me just say, you get on here and you're pioneering something new as in for here what we do, and you just do the best you can. You know, I might not always do it right, and I may, but, but I try and always do the best that I can. And I think we've made significant progress. There's a lot of people that have been touched by this information, and I think there's a lot more that are going to be touched in the future. But, boy, uh, you know, I I got the best intentions I could possibly have to do this, and I'm just trying to do it 
for me, because as John used to say, the only way I can protect my liberty is to help you protect yours. And the more of us that are out there that know this and spread it, and maybe some walk the path, the stronger we all are. So I just want to say that in defense old Rick. I, I get the impression he's doing about the best he can. Um, so, uh, Kay, did you help? I can't help but wonder. Here's what I've come to to conclude, and uh, of course, my conclusions. If I re- if I'm really sure, I like to say I'm ninety to ninety five percent right, and I'll leave five to ten percent for the possibility that I'm wrong. But um, if a fellow's on the internet like he is, if he has much as much power as he has influence, and he's not shut down, he has to have a connection someplace that keeps him from being shut and da- shut down. Because I've learned that people do not get ultra-wealthy like Epstein, have that command of money, or have um, such a wide and overwhelming powerful influence on the media unless they're connected to the wrong people. Well, because the wrong people control those things. Now, again, I, I leave 5 to 10% for the possibility I'm wrong, but I have to assume that I'm not wrong, and then the burden needs to be on the other fella that has the power to show that it's not true. Go ahead. I would say that to, in, from my perspective, the most important thing that was said in that whole discussion was that the Southern Poverty Law Center and ADL don't have him on their hate list. And I, I'd say that, to me, gives him a lot of validity and a strong point on the on the good uh-huh. side. Uh, Cody has joined us, our mutual friend, Brent. Cody, how you doing, man? Hadn't heard from you all week. Oh, good morning. Oh, it's going okay, I guess. I'm not super thrilled, but I'm I'm not in the hospital either, so anyway, but uh, no, I was going to remind everybody that uh, Brent's also a geologist, so when he speaks right. of some of these global warming issues, you know, he, he speaks also from being a trained geologist, so that's about all I had to add so far in the conversation, and uh, just getting ready to take, go ahead. Somebody's got a question, is that you, Samuel? Yeah, I have a question for Brent. Um, Brent, uh, I love you like a father for the uh, biblical and legal knowledge that you give. And I'll ask you this. If um, if man is um, targeting nature and destroying it to destroy life, then should good man oppose it? I, man, you're, I, you're coming in a little bit... Uh, muffled, but let me repeat what I thought I heard. Um, should good men oppose men who are destroying nature? Is that the idea? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, answer, yes, they should. And the Bible, the Bible, the law of God, the revelation of his will, tells us how to do that. As a matter of fact, the whole theme of God's revelation of his will to man is about the land, and there's nothing that we have in life that doesn't come from the land. The covenant of God that was given to our grandpa Adam uh, was a covenant about land, and he gave him a parcel of real estate. And then, of course, the most, uh, the preeminent, number five in the list, but the preeminent commandment says, uh, Paul the Apostle, is honor thy father and mother that you may live long on the land that the Lord your God has given you, particularly you, as we have been given. And there's nothing that should appall us more than those that destroy the land. But the problem is, the problem, is just like the political hacks. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's just politics. They're afraid to say and won't say, this is what God says. 
God says take care of the land. And by the way, God says this is how to do it. Not how some, uh, as I'd said a while ago, dinky doctor, punky professor says how to do it. Not how some expert says how to do it in government. Not how Al Gore says how to do it. With ha- and Al Gore has neither any experience nor any learning in the, on the subject. He is a total talking head. And uh, go back and read his background, you can discover that. But those are the kinds of people that are pushing this global warming thing. God tells us how to deal with those kinds of things. But if we aren't immersed, if our head is not, um, if, if our head is not deep into what God thinks, if our blood doesn't become bibbling, as it were, if the, the laws of the true lawgiver that's behind all true law is not part of our reaction to these kind of things, then uh, we're going to go down the wrong path. We're going to be manipulated by the, the hacks, the, the, son, the, the SOBs, the sons of Belial. And you know who they are. And they'll do it for their own benefit. And they then will be destroyed in the end. And we will be destroyed. We all become useful idiots. If there's anything in the law of God, the fundamental law of God, we're talking about the, the, the foundational revelation of what he wants and what he desires. And it all comes back to his land. All of it. So uh, they would say uh, in modern parlance, the environment. Well, what is that according to God? That's the earth, the land. And all that in it is, that covers it all. And then this, there's only two divisions of God's creation according to God himself. There is the skies and there is the land. That's in the first verse of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created namely the heavens, the skies, and namely the land. Emphatic, namely. Those words are in there. They're never translated in the Hebrew text. And then after that is a playing out of who God is, the, the, the true lawgiver, the maker of all things, the creator, and the creation. We are part of the creation. We are attached to the land. We cannot escape the land. We depend upon the land. Uh, even if we're on the high seas, we've got to get back to the land so we can uh, refit and refurbish. <laughs> it's dangerous. So God has given us land, and he expects, it to, expects us to take care of it. And a true environmentalist, a true environmentalist is according to the terms of the covenant of God. The covenant of God started with Adam. It's repeated to the patriarchs. It's repeated to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says, is the second Adam who came to do what the first Adam failed to do. What? To defend and protect the land. There's two ways to do that. The law of the land and protect the land itself. To defend the law of the land, that's jury duty in our common law world. That's jury duty. And to protect the land is armed defense. Those are the two duties of what we call today the militia. The militia. The able-bodied men. I was reading a thing here the other day. And that, but it comes back to the environment. I better just stop now because you might want to respond to what I said and, about land and what we're supposed to do with our environment. Are we supposed to take care of nature, the natural world, what God has created? The answer is yes, yes, and yes again. But we're to do it according to God's terms, not according to whatever we think is best and try to figure it out. Uh, we figure out what he wants, and then we begin to figure out reality. Uh, back to you. Sam, you feel like you just got a drink of water out of a fire hydrant? Yes, uh, and I agree with all that water. <laughs> but but I, all I'm saying is this is a good man who's trying to open people's minds to the fact that this is going on. And by the way, um, he is saying that there's enough ice melting in the Arctic that if it releases too much methane, we lose our atmosphere. So getting too warm ain't too good in that case. 
Oh man, you know, I just try and take it a day at a time. And those, you, uh, the one, I, God well, grant me, uh, let me, let me just say, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the wisdom, the, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I think you can, you can, you can stop some things. I mean, I live on the land. I have my own garden. I'm, I'm, in another year, I should be totally self-sufficient. However, to know about these things is to try to remediate them with things like microbes and worms and, yeah, well. and fungi. There's 80,000 miles of fungi in microcilia in a, in a cubic inch of soil. Talk about creation. It is it is incredible what that microbe community can do, and I was I was had some uh, interaction with that the other day in some way, and they've got those things developed. Brent, do you know they've got some of these fungus developed where they can go out and they'll eat up an oil spill? Oh no, I I'm aware of that, but if um, I've read about it anyway, that's what I know about it. But if, if there is global warming. It's not something we've done. No. If there is global warming, it has to do with um, the sun. It has to do with the position of our land. It has to do with the lawgiver himself changing things, if that's true. Well, we have good evidence, for instance, and I won't say this is absolutely true, but it, it appears to be true from the evidence that glaciers did cover most of what we call now the Northwest Territories, almost to the bottom, but not quite. The evidence shows that they came down twice. Glaciers were were centered in the Hudson Bay area, and the snow kept coming down, coming down, coming down. The weight became so great that what was underneath um, sheared off and began to split and slide south. And then as more weight came down, they split again. They kept pushing. I mean, I can go home. We got the richest dirt in the world just north of where I'm from, the richest dirt in the entire world. It's black as the ace of spades, and in a lot of places I know about, and I've seen, it goes down 14 feet, the topsoil. 14 wow. feet. And it's a beautiful wow. land that grows. They're getting 250 bushel corn off of it now. But that particular land uh, is uh, pocked, uh, mixed, I should say, with rocks. They don't, but every year when you farm, and we did this, you'd be going along with the cultivator, and you're, you're, you had to drive a stake in the ground to see if you were moving back then because uh, the corn would be so tiny. And we had little fenders on the, on the gangs of the cultivators so that even when we went slow, it wouldn't. I mean, you really were just barely moving. But if we'd be looking down, we'd have to be looking down on one side because a two-row cultivator. The other side, you talk about a tedious job that'll put you to sleep. But if you saw, you saw a rock. Or a horseshoe, you saw a lot of those. You stopped, you threw the clutch out, you jumped off the tractor, and you threw it up on the platform. Well, after 50, 7,500 years doing that, you get rid of a lot of, rock, a lot of rocks because you don't want to get them in your combine. It'll ruin your weekend, ruin your day, break your combine down. But we uh, were forever picking up rocks and piling them. But the rocks that we picked up out of the, these fields where this topsoil was so rich, uh, when you'd find them, they'd be flat on one side often, and there would be... Um, there would be scratches, deeply grooved scratches on the rock. And we were always told that that was part of the shearing of the, of the ice, pushing down and scratching and uh, cirating them, the, the, the rocks. And even big rocks, you'd find big ones sometimes. We had some that were huge. But they would be uh, serrated like that or scratched. 
And uh, there's good evidence. Of course, we have the Marines at home. The Marines, there are two major Marines across that part of the world. One is uh, almost down in the Ohio River, right on near the Ohio River. And then after that is the Mississippi Delta, after Cairo, Illinois, uh, where the two rivers, the Ohio and the Mississippi, come together. But the reason I'm saying that is we've had uh, things that have gotten colder within four to five degrees, or I should say more like three and a half to five, according to what I've always read. If, if things get cooler, three and a half to five degrees in the northern reaches, the Arctic reaches, the Hudson Bay and Green, all those places, the snow will really start to pile up. If they got that way here, it would make a difference. If Is it getting that way here? Well, maybe. Did it destroy the world when it happened before? If it did, no. We do find fossils of uh, tropical plants uh, on the on the poles of our of our earth we find those that's all true our god has done a lot of things and he's done catastrophic things he has destroyed the entire world and and mankind with the exception of eight people the bible's clear on the the, the terms of what the hebrew text says seems to be pretty clear on that point and we see evidence of it i can go to uh, I drive out west, and I, I drive through the mountains. I see the road cuts. Road cuts are great for geology because you can see what really is going on yeah. under the ground going through a mountain cut, and West Virginia has that too. But I can see places in California in the Sierra Nevada mountains. We're talking way up in the Sierra as you go through a road cut, and the road cut is not granite. Those mountains are made of granite, but you go through a road cut, and it's gravels and rocks mixed Gravels mixed rocks as big as a house, as big as a pickup truck. It's a set of restaurants mixed with tiny sand, middle-sized sand. Somebody, hold on, hold on, Brent. Somebody's rustling real bad in the background. Please mute if you are. Thank yeah, you. it stopped. So they must have got the message. But at any rate, uh, and it's obvious that those rocks, when you look at them, because they have some layering, sometimes they don't, and the layering is convoluted. That's laid down not by wind, but by water. Laid down by water. Uh, what kind of Let me see. Chris, is that you? Chris. <laughs> Y'all, please put your mute on. we got a lot of some background noise. It's really distracting. I can't hardly understand what's, what's being said. And Okay, well, I don't know what else to do, Brent. <laughs> That's all right. Well, the great advantage of this show is that it's it's not just you and me, Roger. It's just it's a show of a lot of hosts and co-hosts of what it boils down to. But, uh, sometimes this happens. But what I meant to say was, what I wanted to say was, the the kind of water movement that would deposit those kind of boulders along with tiny sands is catastrophic beyond our imagination. And water can do that. You can see modern examples of it sometimes, but not over wide areas. But water normally, if it's moving normally... It separates grand sand, <laughs> sands and gravel into their respective sizes to a degree that would cost us more than it was worth to do. That's why we have sand on the beaches that's all the same size because of the wind action. That's why we have places at home along the Wabash River where we can mine sand and gravel and wash gravel and not have to separate it. The, the water of the river has already separated it through the last few centuries. But so if all this happens, let's say it all happens, it's not something. Methane gas comes from melting water. Well, uh, number one, how do we know that's true? Because somebody says it. I don't know it's true. I've learned what people say, especially when they get credentials, is about half the time not true, if not more. 
they know that they can say it and that people will believe them because their credentials. Um, so we do not need to depend on experts. I've come to realize in our common law country, that's part of our wisdom. When somebody, uh, we want to know if somebody lives or dies, we don't ask the experts. We uh, grab 12 people standing around, 12 men, and put them on a jury and ask them, should this man live or die? And we've gotten along a lot better with that than asking the experts. Why? Because everybody knows, everybody knows who's had any experience with expert witnesses that there are three kinds of liars in this world. I'm quoting Voltaire. Voltaire was a nut in a lot of ways, but he wasn't stupid. He did know this. There are three kinds of liars. There are liars, there are damnable liars, and there are expert witnesses. And so we, our problem throughout the world is, and the encroaching problem in our own common law country is that we defer to the experts. No, we don't need to do that. My brain works. I don't have to get into the details of things. It's just a matter of the common senses. Common senses. Does melting water, melting ice, create methane gas that will destroy us? My common senses say no. Is it possible I'm wrong? Yes. But God himself wants us to rely first. He wants us to concentrate and rely upon our common senses. I talked to a fellow yesterday. He, uh, he said I owed him twice as much as I, I thought I owed him. And uh, I said, listen, you're the guy that did the work. You tell me, is this amount you're telling me within the ballpark of common senses of what, you'd, what you've done? He said, yeah, I believe it is. I said, well, I never, you've never done me wrong. You've done me a lot of right. I'm going to go with it then. Because it's in the within the ballpark of your common senses. He didn't deal detail to me hours. I don't want to hear that stuff. I want to just know just how does it feel to you? Is this ballpark stuff here? That's the first question we should ask. I learned that in algebra class. If the algebra, uh, if the when I was in high school, if the algebra equation is two plus x equals four, and I come out that two plus twenty five equals four, and then I look at it and I say, is that within the ballpark of reasonableness? No. Well there's a difference between reasonableness and reason. Reasonableness is does it look reasonable? That's a that's a, a term that just says overall, is this making sense just as I glance at it? That's the first question. The second question is to go in and see say, is there some fact here, some unknown variable which I did not notice? But reasonableness is first, and reasonableness covers all sane investigation. Is it reasonable to believe that man can, can really affect the atmosphere to the point that it will destroy mankind? No. Is it reasonable, reasonable to believe that Mount St. Helens blowing up is going to destroy mankind because of the effect on the atmosphere? No. Did it affect the atmosphere? Oh, <laughs> huge. But it didn't mount to a pinch of nothing in the final analysis of destroying the atmosphere. Was there methane gas coming out of that? Oh, man, did the methane gas come out of there. And not to mention a lot of other gases, destruction beyond belief. We had never, we had never seen something like that in real life. But just multiply that by a million or a thousand even, and that's what you've got when you've got God doing things. When he decides to act, all he has to do is touch it, to think it, to say it. And it's done. And it can be something that could destroy us. He has promised us. I just posted a picture the other day. Somebody said it was good. It was a beautiful rainbow right behind the American flag. And I thought, now there's the, the colors of God behind the colors of our country. Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. 
behind the stars and stripes. Beautiful picture, but it reminded me again that God has promised because he said that rainbow is the token. I'm going to give it a meaning to you now. A promise I will never destroy all of mankind, all of the earth, again with water. When he comes to destroy us again, he's going to do it with fire. How do I know? He says so, point blank. Read Peter the Apostle. He tells us. Is it reliable? I've never seen anything that would make it make me even think that any of it wasn't true. I don't know of anybody in history that's any ever proved any of it unreliable. I have plenty of other reasons on top of that as a matter of evidence to believe it is reliable. Um, our, our Declaration of 76 cites it as our fundamental law, what the Bible says, the laws of nature's God, lex scripta. That is the final rule of faith and practice and life and living. He tells us how to, how to protect our environment. How do you do it? By taking care of the land. That's our number one job. What is our number one job? It is to take care of his land. It's his. He's the Elodial landlord. And he tells us how to do it. How? According to the law of the land. That's the terms we are to go to. Where are they? Well, they're found in two volumes, the first unwritten and the second written. And in cases of question or of misunderstanding, the written volume is particular, particular and so it is the final rule in cases of not understanding or not knowing what our observations tells us of the laws of nature. We used to farm. My dad, Uh-oh. pardon? Go ahead. I'll talk. I'll I stop just, the electricity while. just went off or something happened. No, okay, keep going. No, we're all right. Oh, well, my other computer gonna... went off. I don't know why. So, well, I hope somebody can hear me. I'll keep talking. It looks uh, like we're still it, on it, and everything. I'm on the se- I'm on the uh, secondary computer and the other one. Good. Okay, we're good. I hear that. We're good. Well, the, the, just a few more comments. We used to farm. And, um, my father, my father's 93, and we, well, that's what we did. Uh, whether during the good times of the year, we were plowing and planting and disking and dragging the hairy. And, and uh, Dad refused to farm the corners of his fields. And some places back there, they'd be square 40 acres, square 40, four, uh, 40 acres, square quarter mile. And uh, there'd be roads if we were up on the prairie. Sometimes we weren't up on the prairie. We're down in the bottoms. That was different. The, the fields down there weren't square. <laughs> up on the prairie, they were square. Usually laid out in uh, square miles, quarter sections of 160 acres, and then 40 acres, 20 acres. And there'd be roads sometimes crossing there, gravel roads going down through the country. And Dad refused to farm the corners of the field. Uh, because people get killed on those gravel roads. There weren't, no, weren't any stop signs in those days, and people come barreling down through there, and, and they couldn't, or they'd pull up and they couldn't see because the corn would get high. So he wouldn't farm that, and he wouldn't farm the draws. There'd be draws and ditches and hollers, and he wouldn't farm the knobs and the hills. Why? Well, because if you tore the vegetation off of them, they'd wash away. The topsoil would be gone. You wouldn't get it back. That's a valuable resource. Can't get it back. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't farm those, and when he came up to the ditch along the road, we always left a, a pretty broad strip of sod along the ditch, and then we'd be driving down so that the topsoil wouldn't wash down in the ditch and the road ditch and wa- wash away. Well, we'd be driving down the road, and we'd watch the neighbors and uh, all the other people we know. They'd be driving down along the ditch and trying to get that extra row in there to get that extra dollar, and as their disc went along, they'd just be throwing that topsoil right over in the, right over in the road ditch. And Dad used to say there's going to come a time where if people, farmers, don't pay more attention to uh, preserving the topsoil, 
there's going to be laws passed to control us. And that has happened to a great degree. But unfortunately, the laws that are passed take very little notice or heed of topsoil. It's just control laws to control the economics of the situation. The bureaucrats don't give two hoots and a holler no. about the topsoil. They don't care. But so it comes down to us. I remember, you know, Roosevelt put a, an agriculture advisor in every county uh, in the country, over 3,000 of them, to have that, that at an ASCS office, that agricultural office. All it amounted to, again, it wasn't about agriculture. It was about the, about the distribution of uh, food stamps. The food, food stamps were distributed through the Department of Agriculture and still are. What's equivalent to food stamps? It's now electronic. But it's still the Department of Agriculture, and that federal presence is there. And we had a fella, uh, Department of, and we had a, a home ec advisor for the ladies, and then we had a ag advisor for the men. And when it first happened, uh, I remember farmers first happened. Uh, well, I say first happened. I was in the fifties and sixties. I remember that was twenty years uh, or more after. But these fellows were the experts. And it took farmers about 20, 30 years to finally figure out asking these guys questions and doing what they said was dangerous and would destroy their business. And it did. I mean, you send a man to college, you get an ag degree or a master's degree, and then he becomes an ag advisor. Do you think he knows beans from sour apple butter, sickum from stay here about anything? He just knows what the punky professors, and yeah, I'm down on them because we have come and that's, it's contrary to our common sense as men that have been farming for four generations. And these guys are going to tell them what to do, what kind of plant, what kind of coverage to plant, what kind of trees to plant to stop the wind from blowing things away. It didn't happen. Had one fellow, get this, he wanted to put up a wind barrier. And he went to the ag advisor who had a degree from the agricultural school, the land grant school locally, a uh, big ag school. And uh, he said, plant this kind of an evergreen tree. Oh, okay. So he got the little evergreen trees and planted them. And they grew and grew. And he thought he had a good windbreak until after about 10, 15 years, those doggone evergreen trees, they, as they went up, the limbs went up with them. And it was, wasn't long till the first, the lowest limb was 20 feet from the ground. The wind blew <laughs> up <through> it. <laughs> it's just dumb what these guys do and they don't know what they're doing well they might they might not half the time they do half the time they don't but they're not going to tell men men need to rely on their own senses and if men don't individually rely upon their own senses we're doomed because we will turn it over to the government and that was the great temptation during the days of roosevelt go ahead i watched a little interview the other night with tucker carlson i'm kind of prone to watch him lately i just like him and he's off for kind of a week whatever reason don't really know but he was interviewing a guy out in california that was very interesting obviously in north hollywood i guess where he grew up and uh very very uh successful i don't know exactly what he did but he had a whole bunch of really expensive cars parked in his garage where they were doing the interview and he was saying he's got some children you know about college age and he said now why should i send them all the way across the country to the oldest buildings in the country he said you think yeah. about it those universities and stuff back there on the east coast are the oldest buildings standing and in constant use in the country okay yeah. and he said why should i pay to send them over there pay for all that when they can could stay right here and you got to absolute all the world at your fingertips on the internet 
And, well, that's right. Yeah. And it was very interesting. And, and of course, we know what kind of Marxist communist pablum they're pumping into these people. You can see the fruits. Talk about fruits of the poisonous tree. That's everywhere. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, I just thought it, that kind of of reality is starting to hit people. Okay. Uh, I think it is too. And there are college ca- college campuses are on the downhill slide. I met a fella through the electronic media not too long ago who travels around the country buying up college campuses that are going defunct. Really? Because people, really? yeah, people, and and then you know he's trying to make because you can get them cheap. People, and there are and most college campuses in America are Christian college campuses or started that way. Started Harvard, Harvard, you know, John Harvard, a Puritan, founded Harvard University, Harvard College, really what it was, and uh, he donated his library. And uh, it says on the entry gate, the old main entry gate, that it, this university is dedicated to, the, to producing uh, preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They like to deny that, but it's true. Well, Yale then was founded to correct the errors of Harvard as a as a Christian institution. Princeton then was founded not to correct Harvard and Yale, but it was founded in a log cabin by a Presbyterian preacher uh, named John Tennant, and it was called Tennant's Log Cabin College for years. And then after the log cabin, then it was uh, it graduated into something a little bigger and got bigger, and, and Princeton. Uh, as well as Brown's University, all those universities, all those old uh, Ivy League universities were founded by Christian denominations and Christian folk. And uh, now, though, um, because they've gone sour, they don't produce nothing. They produce dangerous men and women who are evil and dangerous. They're taught. The, the, the edu- lack of education isn't the problem. It's the miseducation that's destroying it. Yes, exactly. Education. You know, you're telling people things. There are lies. You know, all education, every education institution exists for one single purpose. And that one purpose, whether homeschool, university, government school, private school, is that one purpose of all education institutions is to provide meaning to facts that don't change, that all education institutions have. But one institution will teach one thing about the facts, and another one will teach another thing. It's the interpretation of facts that's important. That's why you don't want to send your children to government schools. Listen, if governments controlling education, public schools, they're called, if they're the ones that control them, everything that's taught about the facts will bend to lend more power to those that control the government. That's axiomatic. It's not going to change. Why would you be dumb enough to send your children to such an institution? You're better. I used to tell my children, and I still say it. And I had, uh, we, we schooled our children. I said to them, I would rather that you didn't read or write at all than, than you go to one of these schools that teach you the misinterpretation of facts. Because reading and writing is not the biggest thing in the world. It's big, but it's not the biggest thing. As a matter of fact, faith. The trust in our maker, says our maker, doesn't come by reading and writing. It comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is hearing that is stressed. And because not everybody in the world reads and writes, and that's still true yet today. Matter of fact, most people probably don't in the whole world. But it is good to be able to read and write. Don't misunderstand me. And if you're going to hear, somebody's got to be able to read to, <laughs> to, uh, to read it to you so you can hear it. But at the same time, it's better not to be miseducated. Listen, if education was the answer, 
our college campuses and our university campuses would be the most moral, ordered places on the planet. But just the opposite is true. They're just filled with drinking and drugs. That's all they ever, and sex. That's all they've ever been filled with. That people come away from those places destroyed. I, <laughs> people don't talk about it, but it's true. I've been there. I've watched it happen, and I've talked to the people it's happened to. And the regret that comes to lives because of sex, drugs, and alcohol. And not to say that those things don't have their proper use. They do. But that's not what college campuses and college life is about. College campuses and college life, when I was coming up through, uh, it was all about free sex, more drinking, more beer to drink than you can drink, and more drugs to do than you can do. And I can't remember going anyplace back in those days that I couldn't smell marijuana. It was everywhere. It was in everybody's car. It was in everybody's dorm room, everybody's house. It was everywhere. It was part of the culture. The sex went with it. Sauce and sex, booze and the brothel. Um, it, It just overcame. A generation, and that generation, uh, there's more of that generation than any other generation, the baby boomers, and they've never recovered from it. They're on drugs now more than any, more than, than they were on drugs when they were young. There are more people on prescription drugs now than, uh, than have ever been on any other kind of drug in the history of our country. Yep. And they all it's okay. It's not okay. It's destroying us. And, As some of it may be, there is a right use of drugs. I understand that. But uh, back to you, Roger. Well, I was going to say, you've been doing a series on Revelation lately, and in Revelation it talks about the, them and their pharmakia. That's right. That's right. Pharmakia, they're evil. With with uh, If you put the true lawgiver out of your life, if you never think about him, uh, you will have religion. Everybody has religion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I say to people, you got religion? And I, that's a dumb question. Of course they got religion, but I want to know what kind they got. Exactly. Uh, religion is your active response to whomever you deem your lawgiver, your final arbiter of right and wrong in individual instances from whose decision there is no appeal. Well, there's only one true lawgiver, and I hope that's your lawgiver. But if you haven't thought about him or you really you like to say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's my law, but you never pay any attention to him. You never read what he's written down for you. Or you never hear what he has written down for you, you don't pay any attention, well then, uh, your lawgiver is something else. Maybe it's you. A lot of people take themselves as their own lawgiver. It's a very stupid thing to do because uh, when you're weak and foolish and, and, and when you go down, your lawgiver goes down. When your lawgiver goes down, you go down. That's always true. But if you're not attached to the true lawgiver, your lawgiver is going down. Uh, I think I said this last week, but I'll say it again. This is a uh, a shouting example from history. Napoleon, of course, he lived in a world, his, his dad and his granddad and his brothers were all civilians. They were all lawyers of the civil law, the law of the city. He was too. And of course, when he ruled France, he took the law of the city, the Code of Justinian, put slapped his name on it and said, this is our new law, uh, the Code Napoleon. Well, that was the whole mindset of France. They developed uh, they, they didn't bo- go by their common senses. They said, we're going to go by what they called science. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It just means knowledge. But they, they put this Latin word to it, and then it becomes something special. We're going to do everything according to exact precision. And this is the, the, the drive of the evil empire. They developed the metric system, and they said it was exactly precise, and the English system is not precise, and we're going to be more prosperous than them. Did it work? No, it didn't work. The English system is still our system, and we're the most powerful nation in the world. It's just foolishness. Well, Napoleon said this. He said, I am France, and France is me. And the French people said, yes, Napoleon is France. We are 
we are Napoleon and he is us. Well, that's, that's Antichrist. That's what an Antichrist is. An Antichrist is one who stands in the place of Christ, the preposition there. It all fits together. It's all the same, all evil religion, just different people, different, different false gods, some created thing, some creature, some person, some animal becomes your lawgiver, some dumb idol, you pray to a dumb idol, or a Ouija board, or you say the Pope's butt sitting on the throne, therefore he can't speak air. That, that's such incredible, outlandish silliness. It all is. But that's what people believe. And they have their own lawgivers. But you got religion. And if your religion isn't the true religion, in other words, as James says, true and undefiled religion, your response back to your God, well, then you're just a silly buffoon. And you're a useful idiot for the evil one and the evil empire. And it all comes back to, comes back to the covenant of God, the covenant of God, which has two parts, uh, the land and how to overcome it. The land is the main thing. Back to you, Roger. Well, we've chummed up two of our big old boys. They're circling around the boat. Daryl came in first and Bob behind him. Hey, Daryl, how you doing, brother? I figure we'd get you on today oh, at some point. <laughs> uh, good morning, Roger, Brent, and the uh, the whole cadre. Uh, good to hear you this morning, Brent. Uh, man, you're uh, you're on fire again today. Thank yes, you very much. Is. Yep. Uh, I, I love it. Uh, yeah, well, you know, crime is profitable. And, uh, you, you know, they, they've, uh, they've indoctrinated another generation of uh, criminals uh, so they can continue their business plan. I, I see it all as a business plan. Um, of course, uh, their CEO is different than mine. And, uh, you know, uh, I try to keep this, you know, these thoughts organized in my head where they're accessible to action. And um, so the, uh, the the left side of this equation, if you will, is has, has been liberated. They've been they've been given freedom and liberty. Okay, so the question remains: Is well, what are they? Yeah, they they they've been liberated. And, and given freedom. Now, we have all sorts of subsets of these people. Some of them are homos, and some of them are feminists, and some of them are e-feminists, and, uh, you know, the metrosexual. Uh, and uh, so it, it occurs to me they've been, they've been liberated, okay? Well, liberated from what? Uh, liberated from what you're speaking to. Uh, liberated from morality, virtue, righteousness and uh this has resulted in this liberation liberation theology has resulted in political control and uh when i i keep this in context this way uh i i under, i don't agree with it but i i can comprehend it i can i can understand it you know i, I hear a lot of people say I don't understand these people. Well, you know, I do want to understand them. Not so I can agree with them, it's so I can defend myself uh, and my family uh, from them. And uh, it's, uh, but that's what liberation, that's what liberty, liberty results in 
uh, when uh, <laughs> in in this in this case, you know, if you if you manage, uh, you know, perceptions are reality. You know, we've heard this over and over again. This mantra, you know, is that perception is reality. Well, you know, my response to that is then change your perceptions, and uh, and you'll get a different picture of reality. Uh, I'll, 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 for an example of that, I'll I'll go back to what you started the show with, which was the weather. And uh, I, I agree with the, the basis of what you're talking about and how you explained it, uh, particularly with the farming, because, well, we farmed over a thousand acres in the middle of Iowa, at the, the, the prime ground in the world. And that's what we did. We didn't farm the sloughs and we didn't farm the corners. And uh, you can't, you know, when you're talking that way, it makes sense to me, but city people don't get it. So I don't pay a lot of attention to city to city people talking about uh, nature or or a farming community. Their their opinion is not real uh, important to me. Uh, and then they want to take political control and exercise that over people that actually understand and provide stewardship to the ground. But you know, I got to tell you, every morning I look forward to the earth warming. And, and what does that, people? The sun. <laughs> we get global warming every day. It, the, you, people are making this way too complicated. You're listening. You're, 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 your thoughts and your mind is being herded and driven in directions that are against your own experiences. You experience global warming every day. The sun comes up. Uh, if, if you want... If, if the listening audience or anybody, if you really want to get your mind around uh, something real that hasn't been politicized, uh, go online, uh, go to your bookstore or whatever, see if you can find it, and get a copy of an early edition of Aviation Weather, okay? And aviation training is one of the few areas where it has knowledge and information has not been adulterated because we have to actually work on reality. And so if you get a book of aviation weather, a, a private pilot's introduction and guide to aviation weather, you will actually get real education. Uh, you, you got it. I, I don't, I recommend staying offline. Uh, to read this kind of information, you need to get a real book called Aviation Weather and read it. After that, then you might have an informed opinion. And so I've been kind of running on. Thank you. I'll stop there. Okay, Daryl. Good contribution. Bob, what have we stimulated from you today? Well, we got that word religion brought up, and it spurred me to call in and... Uh, religiere, turning back to the old ways, a, a binding to the traditions, and uh, the idea that, as, as you mentioned, Brent, you know, in James, it says what pure religion is, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but it, it's, a, it's a caring for the widows and the orphans, and I believe that if you look some places else in the Bible, it will say the aliens among you. Interesting word, given our our talk here. And so 
I would propose or submit that your total misrepresentation when we're talking about freedom of religion in the in the uh, First Amendment, that our modern interpretation, everybody knows, right? We're talking about our relationship to God. Well, no, we're not. That wasn't the point. That's not the way they understood it. If you look in Webster's, it doesn't even say that. What it is, is your social compact, essentially, how you look after the unfortunate ones among you. How do you build up the least in your society? How do you undergird the unfortunate? How do you care for the victims of catastrophe? And in those societies, which we've gotten away from, because now the government does it, I pay my taxes. It's not my responsibility. I pay my taxes. Let the government take care of it. Well, eh, wait a minute. You're the government. You're talking about the agency of government. The last thing you want to do is give them more control. But no, actually, we do. I'm playing a little bit of a uh, word game here with myself. Oh, actually, we do, because we don't want to be responsible for anything. We just pay our tax. Anyway, that mindset is so prevalent. But the, the original point of freedom of religion was not to be able to worship how you wanted. It was to form the social compact that you wanted. Well, how do you want to associate together to take care of the unfortunate? How do you want to... Uh, do you want to have a mutual aid society? Do you want to have, you know, uh, a common... How do, how do you want to do this? How do you want to organize this? It's up to you, because the government's not involved. And I will listen to what you have to say on that, Brent. I'd like to address that, if I may, Brent. Uh, Bob, I used to hang out and use bookstores early on in this because you could really find some gems back Mm -hmm. there. And I don't remember where it was, but I stumbled on a book, and it was written by an attorney from St. Louis. And it addressed exactly what you're talking about and the fact that up until Roosevelt, we had those systems in place and firmly in place, the social net, and he destroyed them and substituted these government programs for them. And if you know our timeline, you can see that's just when they started moving in and putting the administrative agencies in control in that same time frame, 30s up to the, you know, 40s. And uh, so that's just my observation. Brent, what would you like to address that Bob covered? Well, what I'd like to add to that is that the social fabric had been uh, tilled, if you will. It had been tilled by the likes of John Dewey and uh, Horace Mann and others who we uphold as virtuous people in our public school system, you know. There's all kinds of schools named for Horace Mann, and there's right. all kinds of libraries named for Dewey and his decimal system. But the fact is, they were flaming socialists. Yep. True, true. <laughs> and so, you know, they had tilled the soil very well prior to, uh, prior to Roosevelt ever getting there. He he just spread the seed and let it let it grow. But, you know, there there was a long movement of, of progressivism, you know, well. before he ever got there. These major anyway, changes don't happen overnight, you know. Uh, Brent? Yeah. Well, of course, of course, I'm trying to find something. I'm trying to find something in what he said that I can, that I can, <laughs> I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a, a something in what he said that, isn't right, but I can't find anything that's not right in what he said. 
So I, I don't. I, I like to leave it the way it is. I think he said the truth. <laughs> well, gee, my job here's done. I guess I'll just hang up. Well, oh. no, 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 no. Your job here's not done because I got another element to bring in. Um, uh, Brent Bob lives real close to Rick Wiles' outfit down there, and I believe he he and his daughter were either were going to or have gone to some services over there. Is that correct, Bob? We have gone to one, and we intended last week, but didn't work out. But yeah, we're we're only about an hour away. Well, have you? You say you went there a couple of times. You said you didn't. I didn't understand. Yes, he went just, once and was going. Yeah, oh, yeah, and was going to, and and something happened another time. Early Is June, it? early June, and then we were going to last week, and it just didn't happen. We were working. And uh, you know how weather and equipment is. It just didn't quite happen to where we were going to be there on time. So didn't didn't happen. But, yeah, we're, we're about an hour away from Vero. As far as you know, it's a bona fide church, right? In my eyes, it is, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be overly critical of him and, and uh, engage in uh, criticism. I just don't know. And I, as a fellow gets older... He sees something that looks too good to be true. This fellow's saying things that are are true and good, but he's doing it by himself. And I say, is this too good to be true? Is this controlled opposition somehow that I'm not understanding? Uh, that's why I asked the question. If you're down there uh, and you know more, let us know. Well, I intend to get better informed. Let's put it that way. It, uh-huh. uh, I'm, I'm not sensing anything amiss. Well, that's all I can say at this point. Um, well, he, I, you know, you can tell a lot about people. You can tell a lot about an organization by the people in it, not just not just the one person. And uh-huh. I see a lot of sincerity and earnestness and real real concern. Uh, uh-huh. And I don't mean that in a progressive way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I mean that in a traditional sense of alarm at how fast this hand basket's going to a really hot place, you know. Yeah, well, when I see a family as deeply immersed as I, it appears that his is in politics, that gives me pause also. Um, I've been around politics, but, well, I got deeply involved in it one time. I'm no longer that deeply involved, but I was, uh, where I was, I noticed, and I found this is true in a lot of states, there's usually a woman, a woman in the Republican Party who's considered the matriarch of the Republican Party. Sometimes she's younger, sometimes older, but she controls a lot. And uh, I've known, I knew a gal down in Oklahoma that controlled, and Kansas, and uh, 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 Illinois, and Indiana. And uh, by the way, in those gals that I got to know, uh, the results of their lives weren't that good. In other words, they weren't out taking care of their families, they were politicking. It wasn't a good mix. Uh, kind of a proverbial pastor taking care of his family and taking care of the flock. See, it brings up the it brings up the question: How would you like to have Nancy Pelosi as a grandmother? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly is a good example. Phyllis uh, was from Alton, Illinois. Uh, She was a a nice lady, you know. I browned Phyllis, and uh, I went as her guest to uh, uh, the the. Council on uh, what we call that. It was the answer to the council. It was the Republican Domestic Council Relations Policy. 
Well, it was Council on National Policy, isn't that the, the left wing organization? I don't um, know. Oh, these all these organizations. See, uh, anyway, it was the Republicans' answer to it. Went to the meeting. There were a lot of shakers and mover there, movers there. We weren't allowed to talk about what what was said. Uh, we weren't allowed to say we're at the meeting. We weren't allowed to say where the meeting was. Well, I went with, as Phyllis's guest. Uh, Phyllis was. Um, did a lot of things in politics. She's the one that was behind Barry Goldwater getting the nomination in 1964 in San Francisco. There's no question she was the energy behind that. Uh, women can do that. And we used to say in politics, there are five W's. Without those five W's, you will not progress in politics. What are the five W's? The five W's are when women work, we win. And that I found to be true in politics because women add a touch to uh, everything that happens in politics that's nicer. Men, men don't work, men talk in politics. To a man, everything about politics is talk. And they'll talk from now till the cows come home, but the women will put together the Lincoln Day dinners and the get-togethers and the fundraisers, and then on top of that, they'll make them nice. So that's the positive influence of it. But again, if a woman gives all of her life to something like that, what about her family? Uh, what, what happens to her family? Listen, the power of America is the woman. It's the female of the species. But if the female of the species denies her role, that's her power. She not denies that. We lose power. And who's allowing her to do that? Who's encouraging her to do that? Uh, the men. Who's encouraging the, men, the women to uh, join the army and be like men? Who's encouraging that madness and making them face shrapnel and bullets and get blown to pieces and then don't have legs and arms and then and then praising them for their service? Who's doing that? Well, men are doing that. You know, men, uh, nation. Uh, the, but these are the things that men do to drive. They like it because it relieves them of responsibility. Uh, who pushes the women forward? Let them make decisions at church or let's get more fundamental. Make decision, final decisions in the family instead of allowing the woman to have her relaxation and her role as a mother to enjoy life. Uh, who's doing that? Well, the man's doing that. That's who's doing it. Uh, he's the problem. We were going yesterday to bring up one other point, Roger. I know you got something to say if you can remember it. Just let me say this, if you will. Uh, we were going through that verse last night with some of my family. If my people shall hear who are called by my name shall humble themselves. Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. Well, it doesn't say that. It says, if my people, who are called by my name, are humbled. It's passive. It's the nephal stem of the Hebrew. Well, who wants to say that? Fact is, if God doesn't humble men, they're not going to be humble. To humble yourself is only something God gives you the power to do, and he humbles you, and then you have the power to humble yourself. And to deny that is to deny the entire tenor of the whole Bible. But not only that, not only is it an act of God to humble men, and we must accept that. The Bible said God whoops, whoops, takes to the woodshed every son he receives. That's axiomatic. If you haven't been humbled, if you haven't been taken to the woodshed, you have no power and you have no confidence. You've got to have confidence to be God's man, and that means he has to put a hurt on you. And he'll do it. He promises to do it. He's a perfect father. But if my people, who's my people? That is the male of the species. That is not the female. Every time you see the words in the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, the people, 
my people, our Constitution in the United States says the th- same thing, the people, that is the men. Now, that was the intent of the document when it was written. That's the intent of the Bible when it was written. If we're going to know what it means now, we must know first what, it was, what the authors intended when they say what, said what they said. You can go look up that word. It comes right out of the Old Testament and the Bible. The people. It is the militia, what we call today the militia. It is not the women. I was shocked. I listened. I watched that movie, Roger. It's worth watching. You can learn a lot. But again, God is not in all their thoughts. They try to approach this from a political standpoint. The name of the documentary was uh, uh, Mona Labe. Is that the way you say it in the Greek? Come and get it. Come and get it. It was about the Spartans, who were all queer, by the way. They, they thought they defiled themselves if they cohabited with women. They were nothing but a bunch of sodomites. But we lift them up, as the Nazis did, as the pure warriors. They, they thought that cohabiting would, with women would ruin their purity as a warrior. So they cohabited with each other. They grabbed a woman once in a while to make babies. But that's the name of the movie. But then throughout the movie, the documentary... They talked about politics, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, the militia clauses. But then when they get, Roger, when they get to the part about the militia of the several states, they all said across the board, all these so-called conservative folk, and if I said their names, you'd all be familiar with them. They said, well, every man and woman must be armed. That's a lie. That's not true. That's never been true. Mm-hmm. If a woman wants to arm herself, yes, she can arm herself. But the militia of the several states is not the women. It's the men, and the men have the responsibility, and it is an act of cowardice and evil to shove women and to encourage women into that position, and it's a, a, a reversal of roles, and it will destroy our country. No, the women are not part of the militia, notwithstanding state constitutions that say that, and some of them do. That was not the understanding of our common law. No, When our constitution was written, There wasn't a man in America that would have ever even considered women taking up arms and exposing themselves to that kind of vicious, brutal activity. And war is vicious and brutal beyond imagination. We don't want to be involved in it unless there's no other option because all it is is the most vicious, organized killing. Killing! We're talking slitting throats and killing people. That's not what women are made to do. They're made to nurture and maintain life, and without them, we wouldn't even be here. And I'm glad I've got a mother. We all got mothers. Some were good mothers, some were bad mothers, some were better than others. Well, there's none that are perfect. But without that, that, that encouragement to perform that role, our, there's nothing to defend. Why send women off to fight for themselves? When men go off to fight, they're fighting for hearth and home. If they're not, they're fools. They're fighting for their wives and their children. That which is behind them, which is more more important than what they're fighting in front of them. They got to fight what's in front of them, but they're doing it for what's behind them. And if we reverse that, which we are like a like useful idiots. I'm talking about the most conservative people in our country on this documentary saying this includes women. Well, that's just dumb. (laughs) Almost said a bad word. That's political correctness, and all you're doing is allowing the ferocites of the country to control the way you talk. It's angering to listen to. Well, Go ahead. They're Robert. shifting society, you know, by these little uh, the way they do these things. I would hearten uh, to say, if see, correct me if I'm wrong, 
But at the start of the country, only men could vote, and only men that owned property could vote. Well, that's that's true. That's and that I don't. I'm not saying that's all right. I'm not saying that's all right. No, I'm not uh, either. I'm saying that that's yeah, how, how hardcore it yes. was when the country was founded. The con- nobody that was involved in our in our country in that day would have ever thought that any woman was part of the militia of the several states, and they wouldn't have even thought in their wildest, craziest, radical thoughts that any woman would ever run for public office. And now uh, it's approaching between a third and a half of the congressmen are women. And is it is it too much to say that nothing but buffoonery has resulted from it? Is it because women are buffoons? No, it's not because women are buffoons. It is because men laugh at it, like it, and want to get rid of the responsibility and have discovered that they can control them. That's what it comes down to. Uh, women running for governor, running for president. Uh, look at what they're putting up to run for president. Those are women. Those are crazy women. They're controlled by powerful men. And what powerful men want is chaos, and they, uh, they get women in office like this gal up in Alaska that was so popular. Don't tell me she wasn't controlled by powerful men. I know oh, she, she was. was. No question. And uh, then get them in, and you can just create chaos, do what you want. Abuse women. Bring them down to your brute low level, the brute low level of evil men. What do evil men want to do with women? They want to use them economically, sexually. They don't care. And don't tell me it doesn't happen. I've seen it happen. I've, wa- I've been right where it's happened. I was in politics. I know what the game is. Women are spoils of your enemies. That's what they want. They want to take them. They want to use them. They want to brutalize them in every way they can, your daughters and your wives. And the devil himself and the useful idiots of the evil empire are wise in this way beyond understanding how to do that. That's all they think well, you- is filling their lust, and they'll do it. Go ahead. I think that was Chris who was trying to say something. We got a bunch of people. Uh, on. Actually, that was oh Bob. That was me. Goes. I was just going to. I was just going to mention the idea that if you go back to James and this idea of pure religion, guess what? It leaves out old men. <laughs> it, it's they're not worried about the old men because you they have a place in society. You make and, an excellent point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Just I was going to say. I thought it was this. illustrative because of the fact that you know we're talking about using the women as pawns effectively. Oh, and, that's, and, that's and in your in your talking about in yeah. your talking about them not being part of the militia, I don't suppose there were many uh, men back in the day that viewed them as not being part of the militia that were foolish enough not to train them how to use a firearm. Oh. Because if they were gone, yeah. they absolutely were going to guard the house. I'm glad you yeah. brought that up. And if if if, if, if um, uh, Roger will let me, I got to make another point. Uh, the Bible says the well-known popular verse in the New Testament, that women are to be, and wives, it could be translated either way, but wives are to be keepers at home. Keepers at home. Uh, a, a more, a better way to translate that, and I get even closer, it's just one word, homekeepers. Homekeepers. Uh, the word is terao, it's the common word for uh, translated keep in the New Testament. The equivalent word in the Old Testament means the same thing. It means to safeguard to the point of violence if necessary. It's one of the first verbs occurring in the Bible in the Hebrew. It means the same thing in the Old Testament. And Adam was commanded to keep 
the garden. What that meant was keep is an old English word, good translation way back when. It meant to keep to the point of violence. It means to safeguard whatever you got to do. Well, that's what the woman is charged with doing in the home. The home is her castle. She is the safeguarder. The man is gone often. He's out trying to bring in the bacon. She's at home, and she'd better know how to protect it. My grandmother uh, had a rifle, and everybody knew that when Grandma shot, she hit. And by the way, I'll say this. (laughs) uh, Women, and I've talked to men that have trained, and I've known women over 80 years old even that have gone through concealed weapons training. Mm -hmm. And they all say, most of the guys, well, in general, the women are better shots than the men. Why? Because they're steadier with their hands. Well, hell, they're the ones that know how to knit. They have the patience to do that. Some men do, but mostly women. They have patience to, to keep all their junk in a bag called a purse, and every time they need something, they'll take 15 minutes and find it. I don't have the patience to do that. I mean, that's why I don't carry a purse, for crying out loud. I'm, and that they have patience with children. God has given them patience. And we, as men, then, are dumb enough to say, no, we want you to do all these other things and make them nervous and upset and fearful. And uh, the encouragement of the world to do all those things makes them less than patient. But they have the patience. And to be a keeper at home, a woman ought to know how to use a gun. My grandmother did. Last thing I remember her shooting before she passed away was our cousin's coonhound. He came over. That coonhound got loose. Well, he'd go hunting with it, and then he couldn't. That he'd go back to the truck and the, and the dog wouldn't show up sometimes. Well, it'd show up later at somebody's house. Or it showed up at Grandma's and it was out in the chicken lot around the chicken house chasing the chickens. Well, that didn't last long. She came out. She was merciful. She was merciful. And she didn't walk very far outside the house. She didn't have to. She was such a good shot. It was a, one of those old pump 22s designed by uh, Browning from back. It was from back uh, over 100 years ago. That rifle, I still have it around someplace but uh she leveled down to that coon hound and uh louis uh front louis front knee out now uh our cousin didn't complain one bit that was a nice coon dog it was a blue tick didn't complain because he knew that if uh if somebody's dog's killing chickens or chasing chickens you have every right just to kill it that was the unwritten custom at home and nobody complained but, uh, yeah, she could put the bullet right where it belonged without killing the dog. Of course, the dog wasn't most worth much after that, but uh, she didn't want to kill a cousin's dog. But at any rate, it's important that women know how to shoot, but they are not members of the militia, but their job is more important. They are the reason for the militia, their home and what they do and what they must be free to do and relaxed to do is the reason for the militia. Go ahead, Roger. Well, let me get to Jack. Jack's been sitting there for a while. He doesn't join us, especially on Fridays too often. Hey, amigo, how you doing? Oh, good Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Good morning, Brent, Roger. And uh, the caller earlier uh, was mentioning something about Rick Wiles. Possibly was he – did he – I was distracted with a phone call, but did he say that he had visited Rick Wiles' yes. church? yes. Okay, and that's in Vero Beach, Florida, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, prior to uh, two or three years ago, I was bringing in a lot of uh, Rick Wiles' people to Ecuador, and uh, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but just to remind some that may not know, he had Rick Wiles' daughter 
and son-in-law Marshall had uh, an orphanage in the Oriente in the Amazon jungle. And there it's just so uh, common for the father or the uncles to sexually abuse the, the young girls, daughters and nieces. And uh, so they were like rescuing a lot of them and, and doing a lot of good work. And of course, what goes on on those reservations is their business and the Ecuadorian government is not really supposed to get involved unless there's some, you know, oil drilling to be done and then they can <laughs> be in rules a little bit. But uh, he, they then uh, got, got into some tribal law problems and, and they relocated the orphanage to Cuenca, uh, 10 hours south of, of Quito. And um, anyway, they, they pretty much... Uh, as far as I can, as I know, several of the followers, uh, members of his church had returned some back to Texas and I helped them leave as well. But the, everybody I met that was a part of the organization, real, real nice, nice folks. And, and Rick's been down here quite a bit over the years, him and his wife. And uh, his wife, daughter and son-in-law lived here full time, I'd say at least four or five years. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, that's just, they're, they're very uh, private. Uh, they weren't really, you know, broadcasting it. And uh, the, the expats that were coming that were, that were uh, involved with it would come in with big sums of precious metals, $30,000, $50,000 worth. So they wanted a you know, somebody on the ground to get them where they needed to go in a right. timely manner. Right. Well, there's nobody, if anybody's thinking about Ecuador, there's nobody in the country I know uh, that's any more reliable, dependable, and knowledgeable than this guy right here. And I would also say we've known each other almost 30 years now. So, uh, Jack, thanks for your contribution, man. Murr, you, you chimed in, and we'd love to hear a female's uh, observation on what we've been discussing. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm not much spoiled, a little bit, but I just thought I'd put that in there. I think somebody yes, taught. I think somebody's taught her how to shoot along the way, Brent. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, not not really, but uh, I wanted to say I was 18 when we married and raised a family. It's 50 years ago this month, and you know, all those things weren't quite like I'd. A, hope they'd be, you know, my husband was still above me and below God, although he didn't observe that as it turns out. So, but life is a learning experience. And so it has been, and I very much enjoy it. But, um, a little quirk, I probably a female trait here. I like to be doing a couple things at once and I will notice the synchronicity, the frequency of things like when Brett said about Cairo, Illinois, and I remembered that Cairo, Egypt, earlier that same year, 2011, was the Arab Spring that was brought on by Peter Ackerman's group who took Gene Sharp's 198 non-violent conflict. Mm, you like that one? But it was just interesting because Cairo, Illinois, they blew up the levees 
to save the little town and destroyed at least 150,000 acres of farmland. You know, but the fact that they do these two things at once and it's like that all the time. Like you can see clues in these staged events. And I sent you that Smith Munt Act modernization, Roger, I believe. And it looks to me like it was because of the banks, because of LIBOR scandal, that it was modernized that make propaganda all right. Okay? Because the first two events in 2012 were Aurora in Colorado, which involved Robert Holmes, and it was fake, it was a staged event, and then Sandy Hook in Connecticut was about Peter Lanza, and they were both to testify in that London interbank offered rate scandal, which you don't hear anything about now, and all these other staged events have been gravy, you know, because they fund all these deep state organizations, many we have no idea that even exist, to come after us. You know, there's a couple shows on Republic Broadcasting dealing with uh, child trafficking and things, but also targeting, that nearly everyone is targeted in some way, and Chris can probably attest to some of this. I think but, I, um, I think Chris has been pretty targeted. Oh, yeah, I think so. But, I mean, in ways you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think, and like uh, Cody Snodgrass coming forward, and um, and of course, and that makes me think of Ole Damagard, who has studied these um, staged events, and he made a thing about souls, S O L E, um, interview with Jason Goodwin, I guess it was, but you notice how they had a pile of shoes, El Paso Walmart parking lot. These are clues, and you've got to look around and see. They point to where the next thing is going to be. Now, after the thing in Sutherland Springs, Texas, uh, and there were a couple behind-the-scenes people working on that, and they ended up arresting them and locking them up, I guess, so they can't contribute. But the clues there pointed to uh, Dallas, the Majestic Theater, and we were able to keep that a drill. See, what they are these drills, and then if they can claim they go live, they hit the jackpot. You know, they get all these GoFundMes and all this other stuff. So it's just there's no morals. And like you were saying about women, the Satanists use women, as Henry McCall was showing, to bring down the society. Yep. And, of course, they are the easier target. And, and it, so many benefits to the communist uh, flanks there, right? <laughs> the manifesto well, where they... You know, yeah. It was funny when Brent was mentioning Phyllis Schlafly earlier, Brent. I used to hear her yeah. on interviews and stuff years ago when I listened to more radio than I do now. And I can remember her talking on the show about women. And she, I think she was referring to feminism, okay, about women giving away their power. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that they've been they they've been enticed down this road, and they've actively sacrificed their powers that they are given by God in their roles uh, to be uh, uh, used in such a negative sense against the society as a whole. And it was interesting when you were talking about that that I remembered Phyllis Schlafly talking about that in a different perspective. Yep, oh. she was the first one I thought of when he brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to make a comment on yeah, Cody. some of this a little Cody, bit. Well, you re- you rejoined us, so when you rejoin, you got to go to the back of the line. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no, I, I didn't have too much to say, but 
I, I don't know if you, if Roger, you looked at it at John Mark Says webpage or his YouTube channel, and it, some of what I was listening to tied in, you know, talking about the women and talking about how women have that uh, maternal instinct and how that is not good, especially in immigration. You know, to allow them to make decisions in immigration. Well, why? Why do you? Why? Well, it's good to be kind. Well, no, because any uh, society that's you know ever been warred upon, they either kill everybody or they killed all the men and took the women. Sure, captured. So if you're going to allow these people to come in and take over our society once they get rid of the men, well, the women don't have to worry about. It. They're still going to have a man. It's just, so that's why the men have to be so much more worried about, you know, illegal immigration. And, and some would argue women shouldn't be able to vote because, you know, for some of that reason, for the reason that men die in wars. In fact, uh, what was the blonde-headed political writer that wrote a bunch of books? Laura, forget her name, but she Ingram? made a comment one Ingram? day on YouTube. Laura Ingram? He, um... I think it's, she's the one that has a full-time show. This is the one that's wrote books and doesn't have a full-time show, I think. Laura uh, Schlesinger? Dayton, I think that Mar Laura Schlesinger? Who was dating Marhart, Bill, Mar Bill, Bill Marhart? Um, but anyway, it don't matter. But she's made the comment also, and, you know, that's kind of, in our, our day and age, it would never be accepted, but I thought the more, the, the more interesting part of the John Mark Says video is when he talked about uh, the maternal instinct and how women... You know, be, in a sense, because they've got that, it, it, they don't, they're not going to make the, the proper decision on how to control, you know, for your society uh, in terms of immigration. And then he, you know, he talked about the historic, which, you know, we go back and look, yeah, it's true. You know, they, if everybody doesn't get killed, well, just the men get killed and the women are enslaved. Well, they still, <laughs> they still have their men to make babies, but uh, the culture has been taken over. So I'm just going to mention that part and have, you know, it, have everybody go look at the John Mark uh, Says group of videos. It's johnmarksays.com, but then he's got his own YouTube channel. But um, you can link off of his website if you want or just go straight to his YouTube. He's got some really, some really good conservative political videos. That's about all I had. Okay, Cody, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Brent, you got a comment on that? Well, I was hoping that... Well, all the energy have I've expended here for the last hour and 45 minutes and Cody would have more to say. <laughs> I up, he couldn't shut up, but he said, that's all I got. Well, what am I doing wrong here? At any rate, uh, it is important. It is important to come back to this. There is no good government you know, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, unless there's good government between a man and his wife, a wife and man. That's the foundation, and you can fix, try to fix all the rest of it, government. It's not going to work. Mm -mm. It will never work. It never has worked unless what goes on in your house is more important than what goes on in the state house or the White House or the courthouse. And when that happens, I tell, <clears throat> I used to tell my children, still say it, listen, the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother, and I'm not bashful about saying that you got to honor me and I won't tolerate anything less because it's good for you. And who in the world? is a pissy ante judge sitting on a bench compared to the office of father. Should we respect the judge sitting on the bench? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But that does that even come close to comparing the position that God has established for fathers? You know, a while ago, Bob said, uh, Bob said, uh, he talked about the widow and the orphan. I wanted to say something about that. 
Oh, and this comes back to the covenant. The translation widow and orphan is famous and it's it, it's meaningful, but it goes a lot further than that. The, the words do not mean widow and orphan. The words mean husbandless and fatherless. And there's a difference between a widowed woman and a husbandless woman. A widowed woman is a woman whose husband has died. But a husbandless woman is a woman that it just doesn't have a husband. And, uh, or has, she's lost her husband other than death. And there's a lot of those kind of gals in the world. Especially and these the, days. I, yes, they're abandoned for whatever reason. And then there are, uh, that the, the, the talks about the orphan. An orphan is a person, by definition, doesn't have a mother or father. Well, that's not what that word says. That word says fatherless. You see, you can get along without your mother. Listen to this. As important as the mother is, the mother is not the key to your connection to the covenant of God. The father is. Adam received the covenant. The covenant was given to Adam, and his wife participated in that covenant through her husband. And if a woman has, is, has a father, she's not fatherless. She has a husband. She's not husbandless. One of those two. She participates through the man. But what if she doesn't have that? Well, here's what if. If she doesn't have that, then God puts her over here in a special category and says to the rest of us, you better watch out after her. You better not offend her. You better not offend one of these little children. You better that a millstone be hung about your neck and you be cast in the deepest part of the sea. And the same thing with that gal. And then Bob brought in, and I'm glad he did, the idea of the alien that lives among you. Well, there are five words in the Hebrew Older Testament that I have found that are translated in the King James, for example, stranger, stranger. Five words, they all have different meanings. And the one we're to be concerned about, the stranger that we're to be concerned about, is the is the denizen, the denizen, we would say at common law. He's the one and the, the one that lives among us that is friendly, that wants to be a part of who we are. He isn't a full-fledged American, but he lives here, he works hard, and we like him and he likes us. And we're supposed to look out for him because he doesn't have the the relationships with others that enable him to have what maybe we have and we're to help him as much as we can. I uh, met a fellow about four or five years ago, had a big family. He was an Amishman, but he, he left, he became a Christian and got to read the Bible on his own and left. He had to leave his home up in New Jersey and migrated to Virginia, bought a piece of property, sold the land he had up there and he didn't have anything. And he lived in an old house trying to fix it up. And he, he said, I didn't know how to grow food down there. And pretty soon I was starving. And he said, I had a fellow across the river. He lived in the mountains, came over once a week and brought groceries. He had something like 12 children. I forget what it was. A Christian man. And he said, that's what sealed my commitment to Christianity. Was that man doing that because he looked after that stranger that was nobody else would have anything to do with him because he was unlike the people that lived there. They didn't know much about Amishmen in that deep part of the mountains there, but this one fella befriended him. But it is the man, the male, it comes back to the covenant. The land, what's the, and the land, the duty that the male has, the female is the helper. That's what the Bible says. Eve, our grandmother came along, then come along, God made her, and he said, you're to help him. Help him do what? Fulfill this covenant mandate. What are you supposed to do, Miss Mrs. Adam, uh, Eve, well, you're supposed to defend and help defend uh, to the point of violence, if necessary, the integrity of the piece of real estate that you were given. Let's get down to brass tacks here. And uh, 
she didn't do that. Uh, well, okay, she didn't do it. Okay, who's ultimately responsible? Adam. Adam. What did he do? And well, instead of doing something about it and saying no, he followed his wife. And that's why we're in this deplorable condition we're in. That's the problem. And it's the men that are ultimately the problem because the men ultimately they are responsible, not the women. Are the re women responsible? Yes, to the man. But the man is ultimately responsible for what his wife does. And if you haven't been married for a while, you don't have a clue how tough that is. <laughs> because the question comes, how do I protect someone who does not obey me? How do I protect someone who will not obey God? How do I protect someone? How do I provide for someone who fights me? Now, let's get real. That's, of course, what marriage is all about. It's that butting of heads. But in no instance, I shouldn't say that, but in most every instance, it's not an option to walk away. That's what marriage is all about. And as tough as it gets, as humiliating as it gets, uh, the man is ultimately responsible. And that is why the Bible says, if my people shall be humbled. Who's that? That's the men. They're the problem. And if all the women in the country followed that verse and prayed, it wouldn't change a thing. Why? Because the, they're not the problem, ultimately. The, the man answers to God. There is an order of authority. Authority comes down. Respect goes up. Children to parents, wives to, to husbands and fathers. It goes up. And there's never an excuse, ever, under any circumstances, to ever disrespect husband and father. Is there a time you must disobey them? Well, yeah, that happens. But disrespect, there's times when judges say things to me, and I, and I have friends that have said the same thing. I would not obey the judge, but I didn't disrespect him. Everything I did, like Daniel and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the emperor of Babylon, even though we wouldn't bow down to his idol, we didn't have the option of telling him off. And they didn't. None of us do. None of us have the option. Even Michael the Archangel, the book of Jude says, when he got into a dispute with Satan himself over the body of the man Moses after he died, Michael the Archangel, mighty angel, didn't even revile against Satan, but he said this. He said, the Lord rebuke you. And that's what we need to say. The Lord rebuke you. Uh, that's not my job. The Lord's going to sass you, and it's not my job to sass you, Mr. Judge. It's not my job to sass, uh, sass, well, it's not a woman's job to sass a husband. It's not a child's job to sass parents, and some of them are pretty crazy and pretty evil. But you never do that. You take other measures, but you don't sass them. You show respect. That is the key to our prosperity. Back to you, Roger. I, you know, Brent, something is very provocative to me that I've been comes off and on here especially as of late um is the differences in the jewish culture and their maternal grounding versus our paternal grounding yeah, a good point okay and i would like to ask you to maybe noodle on that and 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 let's discuss it sometime in the future because i think it's really important and i haven't been able to think it through thoroughly enough, but I think there's some really, really important implications there. Oh, no kidding. The confusion of the sexes. You know, we take our hats off indoors. They put their hats on. Now, there's a difference. And the maternal, uh, yeah, that's right. It is, it is paternal. Is patriarchy God's plan? Yes, understood rightly. 
but some people don't understand it. A lot of people don't understand it right and do it wrong, and it creates all sorts of problems. And, you know, I don't know. I came up with that one day. It just hit me, but I don't know that I've ever heard anybody really approach them on that point when they say they're the people of the book and all the begats there for a couple of pages, and there's not one female in there, yet their whole lineage depends on the female m- mother being Jewish. Uh, right of return to Israel, all of it. And and there's some significant difference there, and that's one way to confront these people right up front. I, they would have no way to get around that, I don't think. Well, they deny the Bible. They say they're the people of the book. That's a lie. Everything that the Pharisees say is a lie. You are a liar, said Jesus Christ. It's a religion. You are a liar. You are of your father, the devil. And so what they say is backwards. Everything's upside down. The Bible is not the book. The Talmud and the Mishnah are what they follow. The Bible, they say, and the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, is for women, children, and idiots. That's what the Talmud said. Because they have a higher consciousness. They understand the meaning behind them. Baloney. I I watched a video. I watched a video the other day of of an Orthodox rabbi going over the Kabbalah for about 30, 45 minutes. It was very insightful. Somebody was just going to jump in there. Who was it? Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the uh on that maternal on that maternal side of the Jewish uh matrilineally, uh there there's there's information and cause to think that uh they identify maternally because uh the uh their lord is the the dark lord uh, this is a uh, identified as a basically a, a transgender or female spirit, as in Iris, Isis, Osiris. Um, a Baphomet is another name for uh, Isis and Osiris, and so they identify with the adversary in the female spirit. And uh, so, when you draw that back to the begats, well, you identify the contradiction. Uh, I think this is worth uh, uh, consideration. So uh, the uh, other that's thing really that's interesting is that they, they they their lineage is formed through the female side, but then they really have a great distaste for women. Later on, they don't they don't uh, you know hold them to that kind of uh, of respect throughout the rest of the culture in their lives. Evidently. They're a weird well, bunch. The in Israel. Yeah, they're a weird bunch, man. I just well, soon stay totally the away from the them. Yeah. I guess it is. Yeah. Hypocrisy. In Israel. Okay. I, in in Israel. I know we're about to go. Murr's about. Listen, people. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Murr. Think, think about how they're calling us baby boomers when we are the elders, okay? We don't have to accept that. We don't have to accept ear tags in their feedlots. Like you were saying, honor your father and your mother. Yep. They're making sure that doesn't happen. Yep. So reject that. Yep. Well, we're okay, they, ta- they tasked Tom Brokaw with these books, right? The Greatest yep. Generation, which was almost all gone, and we're the biggest dupes, unfortunately, for them. So now they place on us because they don't want us to come into that elder role. They want to throw us into pea factories and drug us, right? So we can't pass on anything yeah. to the younger generations. Yeah. Make us seem inconsequential. Well. So 
and and other things that they Hold try on. to teach us, like about Germany. Hold on, study Mark. people. I've, I've got a I've got a pass on where people can get more Brent winners before we get this whistler in here. Brent, front and center. Oh, thank you, Roger. Again, go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com. You can see how to join us for Law of Contracts class, Contracts of Common Law, um, Saturday mornings. You can click a few links there and hook up. You can see me. I can't see you. Then on Sunday mornings, uh, same platform, but you can see what link to click. We have church, in church on Sunday morning. We're going through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, clause by clause and blow by blow. You can uh, see how to do that. And then you can uh, access my books at uh, Amazon.com. Just type in my name, Brent Allen Winters, and they'll come up. Among those is Excellence of the Common Law. Uh, uh, a uh, Contrasting comparing the law of the land with the law of the city, our common law with uh, civil law on every continent and in every age through history, 958 pages comparative law text, and also the good book, the Bible, a common lawyer translates and annotates from the from the original tongues, almost 15,000 footnotes throughout the 66 books of the Bible, detailed headnotes to each of the Bible's 66 books, and I've got a fellow working on getting it on Kindle. I hope it comes out okay. It'll be more affordable, Roger. Thanks. Boy, that's a mouthful. You guys have a great weekend. Woo. We'll see you Monday. Thank Thanks you. for all the contribution, and I uh, hope you got something out of today you can ruminate on for the weekend. See you Monday. Have a good one. Jack, Daryl, Bob, Samuel, Kay, Murr, and especially Brent. Thanks for being along for the ride. See you on Monday. Bless you. Hasta luego. Bye. Blame Fendi Samana. We're done, <laughs> I think, here. Hold on.